Today's episode of Dog Nation Daily is brought to you by Kroger, fresh for everyone. Presented by DogNation.com, this is Dog Nation Daily, the daily podcast for Georgia Bulldogs fans. Here's your host, Brandon Adams. So I think it was two Fridays ago we talked about on this show what might be the most underrated storyline for Georgia during this offseason. And we're going to kind of use the concept of underrated again today. But we're going to look, I think, a little bit more closely what I believe is an underrated player. There's a guy, and this is not like a nefarious thing, you know, which is probably a bigger word than I should be using. There's nothing sinister at play here. No one's intentionally trying to hold him down. But I honestly don't think a lot of people realize how good Smile Mondin is. Georgia linebacker. Georgia's had, like, great inside linebacker play for quite some time. It's often more than one inside linebacker who's playing at kind of a high level. In this past year, Jamon Dumas-Johnson kind of emerged in a big way, and we think justifiably so. JDJ, or they call him Pop, is a really, really, really good player. But it seems like a lot of people don't realize, Georgia fans I think do, but a lot of people don't realize that Smile Mondin is really, really good too. And I think there's very much a possibility that this year's linebacker core, Jamon Dumas-Johnson and Smile Mondin as your two starters, I think it's quite possible this linebacker core feels a good bit like what, say, Quay Walker and N'Kobe Dean would have felt like for Georgia in that historic 2021 season when the defense was as good as probably anything's ever been. That this year's linebacker crop of Mondin and Jamon Dumas-Johnson might not have to take much of a step back and that overall comparison between those two groups. And yet, as we say that, we know full well that a lot of other folks are like, Mondin, who's that? Smile, who's that? They don't quite know that. Let me show you an example of this. Now, this is not a criticism of pro football focus. I don't necessarily care much one way or another. I know Kirby said his things to say about pro football focus in the past. They've got their numbers to justify whatever decision they want to make here. But they put out their list the other day of like the top 10 returning linebackers for college football for the upcoming season. Obviously, Jamon Dumas-Johnson is on the list, but Smile Mondin wasn't. I'll show it to you on the screen here. Jeremiah Trotter's number one from Clemson. you got Harold Perkins, who we obviously think is very good. Tommy Eichenberg from Ohio State. Barrett Carter from Clemson. We think he's good. Cedric Gray from North Carolina. Jalen Ford from Texas. Abdul Carter from uh, Penn State. you got Mahima. Uh, is that Nangmeta? Is that is how you say that? From Wisconsin. And then you got a... Uh, uh, a guy from uh, Missouri there as well, kind of running out the top 10. So you got, you know, 10 linebackers returning here for this upcoming season, but Smile Mondin's not on the list. Now let me ask you this. Would you trade, for those of you that watch college ball very closely, how many of those linebackers would you consider trading for Mondin? I don't believe I would for any of them, even though some of those guys I think are really very good. I also think that Smile Mondin himself is really very good as well. And he kind of emerged in that spot uh, last season, and now here in 2023, he gets a chance to be kind of a focal point of the Georgia defense. One of those things that people may not realize to begin the season, but they may really know by the time this season is done. And to hear Kirby Smart kind of explain how Mondin got to this role, one of the things that Smart says is, hey, even though that in 2022 he got way more playing time, at least at linebacker, than he got in 2021, the truth is, is even back at a time in which, you know, Quay Walker and Nicole Dean were playing as the starters at inside linebacker. Smart said last offseason he knew full well that Smile was a very good player because of one distinctive characteristic that made Mondin stand out from almost any player that Smart's ever coached before. This is good stuff from Kirby last year. Take a listen to this. Smile Mondin is as good an athlete as I've seen. He has to increase his physicality, his toughness. Um, he missed spring. Um, because of a, a shoulder surgery, but he's put on some good solid weight. He's a really good athlete. He played a lot of snaps on special teams. Core linebackers get 
valuable experience on special teams before they're the feature guy. So I think that's good stuff, and obviously some of, uh, some of what Jamon Dumas Johnson did in 2021 is kind of the same way. But how about that from Kirby? One of the best athletes I've ever seen. Kirby's been at Georgia since 2016. He was at Alabama before that. That's a lot of good athletes that he's had a chance to see. And athletically, he compares Mondin favorably with, as he said, anybody. That's one of the things that leads me to believe that there is something that Georgia and its fans know about Mondin that maybe some of the other folks around college football maybe just don't quite know to the extent they possibly could. And I'd say that Georgia fans have known this about Smile for quite some time. This is not one of those guys that has just sort of blossomed on the field. This is a guy who seemed to have that intent to want to do that even before he got to Georgia. There's a clip from an interview that he did with Jeff Sintel way back when he was a recruit. And keep in mind this. Kirby says, this is as good an athlete as I have seen. And yet when Jeff Sintel, when Smile was a recruit, once asked him about what it was that was going to give him a chance to thrive at Georgia and set himself apart at UGA from the moment that he arrived there, even though Smart praises Monin's athleticism, Smile says it wasn't his athleticism that was going to set him apart from other guys. Once again, kind of understanding what makes Smile special, maybe the full package as a player. This is what Mondin told Jeff way back when Smile was still the recruit about how he planned on setting himself apart from the rest of the pack when it comes to being a linebacker at George in the SEC, Smile as a recruit. Somebody watches you play. What do you hope they pick up about what's important to you and what you work on to be great? Um... That I, that I watch film because like the game I feel like it comes natural to me because like because of how much film I watch so like I feel like I know what's gonna happen before it happens so like I just have like a like I'm, I'm a step ahead I feel like so don't you love that Kirby Smart says hey this is the best athlete I've ever seen or at least he says you know he certainly praises athleticism as good an athlete as, as I've probably coached and yet Mondin says hey I want you to know the fact that I watch film I study the game I learn I, I, I grow from learning and that's what he says as a recruit that sort of sets him apart so once again let's go back to the original premise you got Kirby praising his athleticism. You got Smile kind of buying into the idea of really studying and being a student of the game. You think there are 10 better linebackers coming back in college football this year than that? I'm not quite so sure I do. And look, the one thing that we continue to kind of bump up against is the possibility that Georgia's defense in 2023 could be even better than it was in 2022. Now, we don't know if the team itself is going to be even better because Georgia was 15-0 this past season uh, in a second straight national championship. Hard to to be that good and way, way, way difficult to be even better than that. But defensively, it's at least possible because Mondin is now a year older and Mondin could be over the course of a 15-game season getting ready to introduce himself to the country in a way that that maybe they should already be acquainted with him, but he may do a lot to make sure they know who he is moving forward after this. Fun to think about that. He's not the only Georgia player kind of in that uh, situation. There are a lot of guys who could be way more famous by the end of this calendar year than they are in the early stages of this calendar year right now, but I don't know that anybody is more underrated right now than Smile Mondin currently is. Georgia fans know it. He is really very good. Jamon Dumas Johnson may have gotten more of the attention, but Mondin, especially during the college football playoff, was playing at such a high level, and the entire country may be aware of just how true that is by the time this season is done. My name is Brandon Adams, and this is Dog Nation Daily, the daily podcast for Georgia Bulldogs fans. We are presented today by Kroger, and we are happy to have you with us, no matter how. You get to us today live on video, 10 a.m., Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, Twitch, on the radio at noon, on app and Sports Radio 963F, available as a podcast, wherever you find them, Apple, Spotify, everything else in between. And back on Monday again, we'll start at 945 for our first and 15. We'll do all that kind of stuff with you. We are just really excited about all of that. Appreciate you being with us here 
on these vacation weeks. Appreciate everybody, Michael Carvel, Kaylee Manzel, who worked so hard to help us record all of these. I'm so, so grateful for a great team here that allows me to do what I need to do so I can be on vacation next week. Of course, our Dog Nation team, uh, guys you do know, Jeff Sintel and Connor Riley, Mike Griffith also worked really hard, too, to be a part of this there, too. So we're going to put another week of pre-recorded shows in the book after this one today, and we're just thankful to have you a part of it. And, of course, a great sponsor like Kroger, a big part of all of this, too. Really appreciative of what they do for us there as well. And they got a great new thing for you. If you go to Kroger.com slash sign up on the web, you can find out how you can get registered there, you know, on the app, online, to take advantage of some great digital coupons and get some big savings on all kinds of great stuff from Kroger using the digital products like the app, like the website. Kroger.com slash sign up gives you a lot more on that. So I hope you'll check that out today because, listen, Kroger's been a great ally for us a long time here, keeping food on our table and all that kind of stuff, but also finding a way to save money in this time uh, sort of era of life that we're in. Figuring out a way to save money when you can is a very, very important thing. So Kroger.com slash sign up for a new way to save from our friends at Kroger using the app, using the online uh, experience on the website at Kroger.com. And uh, you get registered for your chance to enjoy some big savings. So check that out with our friends at Kroger here today. All right, it's going to be Jeff Sintel here coming up in a moment. One of the things I'm going to talk to Jeff about, I want to set up right now as a part of Around the Doghouse. So we are here sitting you know, near late February, relatively early still in the 2024 year. And I think it's time to start thinking about those recruiting topics that we're going to be hearing a lot about over the course of the next few months. And I want to do this by kind of giving you five names here. These to me are the five names that matter most when it comes to Georgia recruiting for the class of 2024. And my reason for picking these names, they're all very highly rated players. So that's, I guess, part of the reason. But my other reason for sort of picking these names here is because I think it kind of coincides with an important storyline, something we'll also spend a good bit of time talking about there as well. Number one on my list, probably not surprised, also the number one player in the country. It is the five-star quarterback, Dylan Raiola. This is the most important recruit, I believe, to know for Georgia fans here in the class of 2024. Uh, it'll be interesting to see if Georgia wins this battle. It seems like Georgia's in a pretty good spot. It was interesting to me the other day when Raiola uh, talked to Jeff Sintel about what he liked about UGA and listing the the coaches that have kind of been influential on him. He did mention Mike Bobo pretty prominently in that, even though that was prior to Bobo being announced as Georgia's offensive coordinator at the time. We didn't even know that uh, that, that Todd Munkin was leaving. Uh, and yet already Riola was talking a, a bit about, uh, about Mike Bobo there at the time. So this is, I believe, the most important recruit to know for Georgia here this year. Of course, recently Jeff Sintel had a chance to speak to Riola about What's next in his recruitment, his thought process, and to kind of keep this conversation going, let's let you hear from Dylan in his own words. I think just the relationships and, uh, you know, just really seeing every every school and what they have to offer. Um, and, you know, for me, really coming down to relationships. Um, you know, you can, show, you can show winning, you can show scheme, but, you know, you, you, can't, you can't fake, you know, being who you are and who you are all the time. So just really, really getting to know the coaches at each school that I'm looking at and, um, really just, just trusting trusting my family. How much will your first commitment experience shape your next one? I think that's big. Uh, you know, I'm lucky I get a second chance at it. Um, and, you know, I just really just want to be patient and really see what every school has to offer um, and, and just, you know, make the best decision for me. Georgia is obviously one of the schools you've mm -hmm. thought about for some time. They were your first offer. Yep. How do you feel about them right now? Like, what, what has them in the mix? Yeah, I think you got to start with the leader, Coach Smart. Um, what he does for, for his program, for his players, the development he has, 
Um, you, you, it's really just you, you can't you can't beat what he does. So I think that's really good uh, from Ryola there, and the reason why he shows up on my list of most important recruits of this class of 2024 in, in so many ways based on the fact – I want to talk to Jeff and tell more about this in a moment – that when you look at some of the recent really high-profile recruiting wins that Georgia's gotten, you know, Gunnar Stockton was an elite recruit, but there was also a little bit of a home-field advantage for Georgia in that. When it comes to Brock Vandergriff, there was definitely a home-field advantage for Georgia in that recruitment. Uh, Vandergriff was from Athens. He stated being closer to home is a big reason why he decommitted from Oklahoma when he did. Well, there is no home-field advantage when it comes for Georgia and Ryola. We're in kind of this new age in which winning quarterback battles when it comes to recruiting seems to be a little bit complicated. Can Georgia do that in this age with a guy like Ryola? I think it's fascinating, and that's why he's on my list of most important recruits to know for the class of 2024. I'm going to give you two more here, both in the same team. Buford High School here in the Atlanta area. K.J. Bolden, kind of an athlete, two-sport, I should say, both sides of the ball type guy, probably safety in college. And then Edrick Houston, the outstanding defensive lineman that probably reminds you a little bit of Trayvon Walker if you've seen him before. Both these names show up on my list as well of most important recruits for Georgia in the class of 2024 too. And once again, there's a narrative that sort of pushes them onto that conversation for me because – we saw this maybe play out a year ago with Justice Haynes, or at least some Georgia fans assumed it played out this way, um, where Buford, in that kind of area of Gwinnett County, very talent-rich part of our state, metro Atlanta area, uh, Buford in that Gwinnett County area in particular, being one of those spots where it seems like Georgia can be a, a, a fixture in the mix for some of the players from a school like this, but ultimately has not won with a lot of players from a school like this, and yet here we are once again with Georgia, a major player in Houston's recruitment and Bolden's recruitment, and this may be finally the time that Georgia kind of kicks in the door in the class of 2024. In Gwinnett County, at Buford in particular, with elite recruits. Obviously, in the case of Houston, I think he's about as important for Georgia as anybody can be. I think that Bolden, in his own way, is really fun too. And to see if Georgia could win with these Buford High School prospects in a way that it kind of hasn't done in the past, and that area of Gwinnett County, frankly, kind of hasn't done very much in the past, that's one of the things that makes those recruiting battles pretty interesting. So, so far I've given you three names. Dylan Riello, the quarterback from Arizona, K.J. Bolden, Edrick Houston, two uh, very important players from, from Buford High School here in the Atlanta area. Now I'm going to give you Sammy Brown coming out of the uh, Jefferson program. I think Sammy Brown as a linebacker is really interesting. First of all, Brown himself is just a really good player. But beyond that, can Georgia win with, like, great linebacker again after pulling C.J. Allen and Raylan Wilson and Troy Bowles from the previous class? That is not easy to do, y'all. It just isn't. That's an amazing track record year after year after year. And yet Brown's another good one. It's another guy that I think Georgia really liked to have. Uh, and I think that, you know, Brown, for everything I've understood, is certainly strongly considering Georgia, too. But winning a linebacker with a linebacker like this after you just won with the trio that you won with a year ago, maybe as good a group as you've seen coming at one place at one time, not an easy thing to pull off. But Georgia has a habit and a history of being willing to do what's hard when it comes to recruiting. So we'll see how that plays out with Sammy Brown. And then I'll give you one more here. And this one may be you know, kind of just for fun for me, but it's a guy that I watch closely because I think he's probably the most exciting player in the state. That is Mike Matthews out of Parkview. Um that's another one of those guys that kind of plays on both sides of the ball. I, I think that Matthews, as a wide receiver, as an offensive type guy, I think he's just fascinating. I, I really do. Uh, Mike Matthews has been just an electric player here in the state of Georgia, and I believe he will be for this upcoming season too. I think that's a, a, a tough recruiting battle, but it's one that's fun, and it's one I'd love to see Georgia win. 
So I'll put him on my list there as well. So that's my five, the five that matter the most for the upcoming class. Dylan Riola, K.J. Bolden, Edric Houston, Sammy Brown, Mike Matthews. And, of course, I'm guessing that between now and the end of this recruiting cycle, we talk about them plenty right here on Dog Nation Daily. For now, though, something I want to talk about with you is something we also talk about each each week around here, and that is our friends at the Finish Laundry. Now, normally on Fridays we do our big finish. This week doing things just a little bit different. I want to give a shout-out to them for what they do. Of course, I'm at the beach and enjoying some time on a Royal Caribbean cruise ship, and when I'm uh, doing all that kind of stuff, being outside the pool, everything else, you know, it gets me thinking about the Finnish Long Drink because it always tastes great when you're uh, doing something like that. So if you uh, if you haven't tried some, this is a great time to do it. There's four different varieties. There's a Long Drink Cranberry, uh, Long Drink Strong, which is 8.5% alcohol by volume, uh, Long Drink uh, Zero, No Carbs, No Sugar, the traditional, as I said before, blue can, uh, blue can, the 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 citrus flavor, the gin kick. It's just a really really enjoyable experience. And so, if you go to thelongdrink.com, you put in your zip code, you can find out the story about how it all got started back in Finland, Helsinki, in the 1950s when the Summer Games were on hand, and then been in America now the last couple of years. And now in Georgia and pretty much wherever you are, you can find some. So go to thelongdrink.com and find out where you can pick up some today. That is thelongdrink.com, and you can pick up some finished long drink here today. All right, before we're done, pretty fun look about what the future of the SEC might look like. Now, sooner rather than later, we'll do that. We'll get ready to wrap up here on a Friday. But all kinds of good stuff as it relates to UGA recruiting. Jeff's own thoughts, but his 2024 prospects to watch. And as we addressed earlier this week, some of those incoming freshmen that could be making a pretty big impact. Jeff's got a lot to say about that, too. So let's cover all of that right now with Jeff Sintel. Glad to have him and all of you as a part of Dog Nation Daily, presented by Kroger, here today. From Athens and across the SEC or wherever the recruiting trail may lead, here's a DogNation.com Insider. Final vacation show for me, which means I'm sad about leaving my uh, wonderful Royal Caribbean cruise vacation, but always happy to get a chance to talk to uh, our recruiting insider, Jeff Sintel. Good to have him on the program, Dog Nation Daily, presented by Kroger. Jeff, we appreciate your time here today. And one of the things we've tried to do here this week is you know, kind of set the stage for what's next for Georgia. Obviously, the the 2024 cycle kind of kicking into gear here. And, you know, Georgia already sits as the number one class in the country uh, for this 2024 recruiting cycle and has a really good chance to stay there and really have a chance, I believe, to become kind of a historic class for uh, Kirby Smart and this Georgia team in many ways. But let's kind of take the snapshot here for a moment. If I give you the floor and say, hey, who are the most important recruits for Georgia in the class of 2024? And you can include guys who are already committed, but obviously fans also interest in those uncommitted names there as well. Who is the small handful of recruits that you believe kind of matter most for Georgia here in this 2024 cycle? Mm, good one. Uh, good topic there. Uh, Brandon, I, I obviously have to go with quarterback because Georgia didn't take a quarterback in the 2023 cycle. Everybody knows about that. It's been well-documented. And then probably one of the three, the three quarterbacks that are currently in Athens won't be around by the time the 24 season rolls around. You're probably going to look for some, uh, some separation or also some dilution of the current talent pool there. So I'll give quarterbacks. I think Ryan Puglisi is a big name here. I think he's a top five talent in the country at quarterback and, um, the type of guy that Georgia fans would be thrilled to have in any year in any cycle, no matter who's doing the recruiting. But I think Georgia needs to go for two, and that's why Dylan Riola jumped in here as well. Number one quarterback in the country, number one prospect in the country. He's got ties to Matthew Stafford. His dad played 14 years in the league with one team for the Detroit Lions. He's built right. 
got all the physical gifts. Uh, you know, if somebody wants to argue he is as talented, perhaps the most talented quarterback uh, prospect to come out since one Trevor Lawrence. Uh, probably be nodding my head in the corner, might even be saying amen to that. But uh, I think it's that. I think it's two more names, two or three more names. I think it's five-star defensive lineman. Edric Houston out of Buford High School. I just simply put, I think he's the type of guy that could be an All-American for Georgia and also be a guy that's a team captain a lot of, for a lot of big games and also show up at SEC Media Days. He's got that kind of good stuff on the field, off the field, and inside the locker room. Um, I think one of the two of the names, Brandon, they're already on the, they're already in the class. And I think that's Ellis Robinson, the number one cornerback in the country, a five-star cornerback out of IMG Academy. That pipeline usually creates ready to roll and ready to go Georgia Bulldogs. Uh, I think Peyton, uh, Woodyard out of, uh, St. John Bosco in California is another example of national recruiting, national recruiting at an elite level. He has a close family relationship, um, a close relationship with um, uh, Dylan Riola as well. Those two guys have gotten to know each other a lot over the 2024 recruiting class. I, th- I think those are really the big standout names for me. And another one, Brandon, this will be one that I just everybody wants to put in the back of their pocket a little bit. Um, Sokovi Hollywood-White out of Northwest Georgia Cass High School. There's just something special about that guy. A lot of the things that made Heinz Award special, just a pure football player, he could be a DB, he could be a wide receiver, he could be a gadget guy. I think he is going to make a cornucopia of plays for the dogs. He still loves where he's at with the dogs, despite all the offensive coordinator changes. And one last name, Brandon, he is recently committed. And I don't think he got enough attention or enough um, hoopla placed on his name. Um, Brandon, let me tell you this. This guy has an Olympic gold medalist for a father. He has an eight-time NCAA All-American uh, track standout for a mother. He is ran a 10-4-3 in the 100 meters when he doesn't even really run track at all. And he has already clocked a 4.28 in the 40. That was laser. That was timed at Georgia. And it was a very poor, ugly-looking 4.28, according to his dad. Brandon, we've never seen a running back come into Georgia uh, with quite that athletic background, as well as that athletic resume. I'm talking about Dwight Phillips sure. Jr., out of Pebble Brook High School, Brandon, that is ludicrous, insane, space balls kind of speed. Ludicrous speed. And uh, that will be a fun <laughs> toy to deal with. Uh, that is very uh, funny. Let me talk about Dylan here for a minute since you brought him up. And first of all, we've had some off-air conversation about this. While it looks like it should be Rayola, the family says Ryola. Is that correct? Correct, Brandon. Ryola. You probably think about your favorite bread. Yeah, think about your favorite bread or your favorite pour. Sure. Uh, and start thinking about that. You got to get that mnemonic in there to get the names right. But uh, man, he can spin it. I got to see him work out with my own eyes recently in Arizona. Uh, he was winging the ball. The ball was cutting through there. A lot of toughness to him too, Brandon. I, you, nobody knows this, but you know he didn't get a lot of juice out of his junior year. At least, like no incredible highlights. The stats actually did. We learned later on that he was playing with multiple injuries that he never disclosed and he just played through because that's what the son of an NFL center that I think started every game he played in the NFL and only missed like four or five games in a 14-year career playing offensive line for the Detroit Lions. Got that internal grit, that internal fortitude that you'd love to see also in a potentially um, five-star, number one prospect in the country, future NFL draft pick type quarterback. So along those lines, I think what's interesting about Dylan here is is that it's an example for Georgia to kind of show 
can it go out and win the big national recruiting battle for a quarterback? Because on the one hand, people say, well, Georgia's got five-star quarterbacks and highly rated prospects. But the truth is, you know, the fact that it was close to home, as he's told you many times, played a big role in Brock Vandergriff's decision to come here. That's a five-star that came here because of proximity. And I think, you know, after the Mike Bobo thing kind of fizzled out at South Carolina, all of a sudden Gunnar Stockton, I think, kind of think looked at Georgia as sort of the hometown choice there too that was a not, not a composite five-star at the end of his recruiting uh, process but a guy that was I still think ranked you know the top 40 prospects somewhere along those lines a very very highly rated uh, quarterback prospect once again an example where proximity probably helped Georgia so some of these recruiting wins at quarterback for Georgia have come with a little bit of a of a home field advantage to them but you didn't have that with Arch Manning and ultimately Georgia didn't quite win that recruiting battle it's been a little while here since we've seen Georgia kind of go out and win the big national battle for a quarterback here. And that's one of the things that I think is going to make the Riola recruitment kind of interesting is because we're in an NIL age where these kinds of battles seem tougher than they've ever been before. And seeing how Georgia performs on this stage, I think is going to kind of be interesting in comparison to the family connection to Nebraska, the sort of national sizzle of a USC, obviously a program that has a great history of recruiting quarterbacks. That to me is one of the things that makes this Riola recruitment so interesting this year. That's very interesting. I think one of the things that makes things different right now is everybody wonders, you know, those quarterbacks are going to take huge money and huge dollars to sign NIL, but you have here a family that's really not interested in NIL, and they're kind of the son the son of an NFL longtime 14-year NFL veteran where, you know, they're not looking for this payday to set the family up, and, you know, it's, it's not just a singular decision. I mean, the things that they talk about, they say they want development and they want relationships. And I think those are key areas for Kirby Smart. You want to t- throw in the national recruiting for a quarterback with proximity. You can also talk about uh, Justin Fields out of Harrison as well. That's one that Georgia won where uh, proximity location also played a factor as well. You know, perhaps, you know, the only one that, you know, Georgia's gotten that uh, wasn't related to proximity and quarterback. You look at Carson Beck, people don't really remember Parsons recruiting that well, but at one time he was committed to Alabama. And then after he committed to Georgia, Alabama still came hard in the paint trying to get Carson back to flip before they eventually moved on to, to Bryce Young. And that was one that Georgia won out of Jacksonville, Florida, Mandarin High School, where, um, you know, it seems like Georgia, but it just seems like Georgia Brandon, to be frank, is just a more of a national program now. They've got the championships. They have recency bias in their favor, but they also have a historical time stamp where Georgia seems to be ascending and elevating, whereas maybe a 2019 LSU, um, you know, obviously sailed off after their championships. I mean, to me, when I think about how in the world Georgia ascends and, and gets on a whole new level and becomes an even stronger program and plays better football in the years to come. I think it involves getting those national five-star recruits like a, a Dylan Riola, like a Deuce Robinson. I think adding more of those players to the mix on that side of the ball is going to make Georgia even better than it, it has shown so far in the last two or three years. And another thing we've kind of talked about a little bit this week, and this is kind of you know in your wheelhouse uh, very much there as well, folks looking forward to some of those impact freshmen for this upcoming season. These are guys that you just got finished recruiting, or I should say covering on the recruiting trail. Now, I'm going to say this in loving kindness, Jeff. You can't give me everybody because giving me everybody is the same thing as giving me nobody. But um, if I were to ask you to look for that small handful 
of 2023 signees that have the best chance of making the biggest impact in year one at Georgia. Who makes that list for you? Yeah, I'm going to sound like I'm trying to outthink your question, but the first one I'm going to go with was what my answer was a year ago, Brandon. That was Brett Brett Thorson and the specialist. Well, I'm going to think about Peyton Woodring this year. Now, we recently saw on social media where Jared Zirkle, in a little bit of surprise, decided he was going to run it back. He was going to come back for another season in Athens, but, you know, not an established starter as either either the kickoff guy or the the field goal specialist for Georgia. Those are things that uh, Peyton uh, Woodring is definitely very savvy and very skilled at. Uh, Very strong kickoff leg. Probably going to have the strongest kickoff leg leg we've seen in Athens. Maybe, maybe since, maybe since ever. Um, you know, I know nobody wants to talk about kickers because I've already used my kicker quotient there trying to sound smart, but, I really think, uh, I really think, you know, when you start looking at the guys that can really make an instant impact and a certain impact, Brendan, I think it's Jordan Big Baby Hall. That's a guy that to me has Barry Alexander plus vibes going into his true freshman season. He has Michael Williams because I literally saw him in San Antonio, Texas at the All American Bowl, Brandon, doing a lot of things that, uh, Michael Williams did the year prior before he started tearing up the SEC as a freshman on the way to leading Georgia in sacks. Um, you know, the other handful of names, Brandon, the linebacking group is so stout. Georgia's going to look like unfair, cheap codish, I guess, on special teams with guys like Raylan Wilson, uh, and, and Troy Bowles and CJ Allen, um, getting their reps really early on, uh, on the special teams while Shmile Munden and Jamon Dumas Johnson really kind of man down and kind of, kind of handle the starting linebacker duties for a while. I like all of those names. You know, the, the one name in the recruiting class, Brandon, I, I know you're going to feel like I'm hedging here, but um, rather than picking one of those interesting, sizzling receivers and young receivers like a Pally Williams or a Yazzie Haynes, I really think Dominic Lovick, Brandon, is coming to Georgia to transfer out of Missouri to play one year and then get, tra- get drafted in the first or second round uh, going to the NFL. I think he's a, a year away, a strong year away from – from being that type of instant, you know, being that type of playmaker in the NFL. He's just got great short space quickness. He made plays at Missouri. Uh, actually came from Luther Burden's old high school, Brandon, if that will uh, jog a memory for you right there. Um, I think those are the names in the 2023 class that I think are going to really impress people really quickly out of the gate um, um, for the dogs in 2023. So let me give you two addendums to that. Now, I wanted you to give me your name, so I'm not saying you gave me the wrong names. I just think it's kind of interesting here. The two names that you didn't hear that that I that I think are pretty important for Georgia, at least they, uh, you know, I think, I think they should be. You know, one of those is Damon Wilson. I think that Georgia needs an upgraded pass rush. Sounds like Wilson may be a little bit more polished right now in terms of just arriving on campus than the Sam and Pemba might be. But I'd like to see Georgia get more sacks this year. I think a guy like, you know, Damon Wilson has a chance to kind of give that to you. And another name, although I'm not quite so sure how much he plays, I just think he's important, that's Monroe Freeling. You know, Jeff, one of the things that concerns me a little bit is, and we can make this kind of quick, but, you know, Georgia's probably got less established offensive tackle depth than it's had in the, in the program in the past. And, you know, you move a guy like Ernest Green seemingly as a starter, obviously uh, Marius Mims on the other side, but your backup tackles right now I think are a total mystery, which gives Freeling an opportunity, but also kind of a necessity that a guy like that kind of steps onto campus sort of ready to go and ready to compete and ready to be standing in the wings in the event that, that either green or Mims were to get hurt. Yeah. I, I love that answer, Brendan, because number one, um, you look at Freeling and he's a guy to me that 
2023 is going to be his baptism year, so to speak, where he's going to get stretched out like he does with his yoga yoga principles and practices he gets from his mom all the time. I think I think for me, 2024 is a year where you're expecting Monroe Freeling to step in and maybe start. Because you look at Georgia's offensive tackle situation there, and it's not going to get any better after the 2023 season, my man. Because Marius Mims is going to spend one year as a starter and then go get picked in the first round. And then you go, Ernest Green, yeah, maybe, but he's coming off back surgery right now. And then you start going, okay, true offensive tackles coming in. And you go, ooh, the cover gets a little bit bare. And, of course, you know, Xavier Trust could play tackle in 2023, but not for 2024. And, you know, those are guys where the tackle guys are going to be a lot of combo guys, the guys that can play either guard or tackle. Um, and the other name I thought you were going to burn me on that I thought would be a very acceptable answer, Brandon, I think Damon Wilson's going to get, you know, going to do good things for Georgia. But I wonder how much quickly he'll be able to close the gap of a year between guys like Marvin Jones Jr. Sure. and also Darius Smith, who I think has a tremendous future in yeah. Athens somewhere. Because yeah. they don't build bodies like that, even in Kirby Smart's uh, depth charts they don't. The other name, and I, I would call him the pick-to-click that probably needs to be mentioned, is I'm looking at that safety spot, and I'm looking at a physical, fast guy that can yeah. come in and make some instant impact, kind of like Malachi did, and I'm looking squarely at the Massachusetts native Janelle Aguero there as well, right? And there's something about that guy. He's wired different. He's built different. Coaches have had their eye on him for some time because of the way he plays the game. He's physical. He's fast. He's relentless. And I think, you know, one of the things that Kirby Smart wants to talk about core principles for the program, well, core principles for his defense is that physical, resilient, tough, you know, very fast, will strike you. I think Jolie Aguero is a guy, considering where Georgia's at at safety and how thin that is also as well, I think Janelle's a guy that will probably play right away and might find himself playing a lot by midseason. Fun answers, Jeff. Appreciate your time. The next time we speak, it'll be live again here next Friday, so I'm excited about that. Thanks for being on Dog Nation Daily, presented by Kroger, and we will look forward to talking to you soon. Thanks, my friend. Let's take a look around the rest of the league. This is SEC Through. Boy, what a fun week this has been. Good stuff from Jeff Sintel there on a couple of topics that we know are near and dear to his heart. You know, 2024 names, no. We're, we're kind of really in the midst of that 2024 recruiting cycle here right now. Um, you know, Georgia already a lot of hay in the barn, number one class. And yet when you start thinking about, you know, some of the rest of what's going to go down there, interesting to hear perspective from Jeff on that to go along with some of the stuff that we've already had to say here today. And, of course, you also think about some of those big recruiting wins of the class of 2023 who might make their impact on the field here this fall. That is a, a really good thing to think about, too. So great stuff from Jeff Sintel on all of that. Speaking of great stuff, I am assuming for me it has been a great time on board Wonder of the Seas for my cruise, and I'm also knowing as I speak to you here on this Friday that cruise is about to come to an end, which is bittersweet for me because on the one hand, you hate to say goodbye to a great vacation, but on the other hand, that means that the next time I speak to you in this spot, it'll be live. I can tell you about all the fun that I did have, and obviously – We'll be back having the same conversation that we've always have had, and I'll be looking forward to all of that. And then, guess what? When I get back, I know it's going to be only a few more weeks until I'm back on a Royal Caribbean cruise again, this time for the Dog Nation cruise. Of course, Jessica Slater has been helping us out with all that. Great travel agent, especially selected for us by Royal Caribbean. You can call her 770-718-9147. That's 770-718-9147. She's a real person. You can talk to her. Uh, whatever cruise questions you have about the fun we're having on board Royal Caribbean or the Dog Nation cruise in particular, 
RoyalDogs.com, the place to go for that. That is RoyalDogs.com. So we're going to be on a four-night cruise. We're leaving out of Port Canaveral. I love Port Canaveral because it's kind of a short drive, you know, from where we are here in the Atlanta area. Easy, convenient to get to. Really kind of nice. Uh, you know, kind of make a fun experience out of it. Just down the road from Orlando, which my family, we kind of enjoy going there. So you kind of have all of that experience. You get set up. You get ready for a great time. And that's what the Dog Nation crew is going to be all about. Many of you have kind of made plans on that. And there's been a lot of chatter lately about all the stuff that's going to be going on on board the ship. Can't wait for all of that. And really, really excited to be about a, a part of all that with you, too. And by the way, you can also, when you're talking to Jessica, you can also get it fully acquainted, too, with Icon of the Seas. Now, Icon of the Seas is a brand new Royal Caribbean cruise ship concept that debuts in January of 2024. Some of the video that we show you, we show you that video. A lot of what we're showing you is that concept art for what Icon of the Seas is going to look like, completely reimagining what cruise vacations are all about. And you should find out about that. Make your plans for what January of 2024 is going to look like when Icon of the Seas is rolled out for the very first time. That's going to be a great experience. All right. That said, let's get ready right now to go cruising around the SCC courtesy of Royal Caribbean. Now, over the course of the last five days, Friday plus the four days here this week, one of the things that I have done is I have talked about like one big question for each SEC team. So I got one more day of uh, shows left before I'm back live there on Monday reacting to the news as it happens. And so I kind of want to cheat on this a little bit and now kind of bring in the other two SEC teams and aren't here now, but we'll be here in 2024 and sort of look at a couple of big questions as it relates to Texas and Oklahoma and their eventual arrival in the SEC. Here's what I think is interesting about Texas and Oklahoma here this year. They are playing one final time in what is kind of a lame duck addition to the Big 12. And this is going to be a weird Big 12 because you got the old team still in there, Texas and Oklahoma for one last year. you got the new teams coming in too, the UCFs, the Cincinnati, teams like that. So so the, the, the Big 12 is going to feel a little different, a little bit weird here uh, for this upcoming season. But I think you would stand to say, especially for a team like Texas, which on paper would appear to be better than Oklahoma would appear to be right now, this is sort of one final time to take advantage of a clearer path to the playoff that might exist when you get to the SEC. Now, I say might here because – while undoubtedly both Texas and Oklahoma are moving into tougher leagues, they will also be doing so at a time when the playoff is expanding. And, you know, right now you have to basically go undefeated, win the Big, T- Big 12 to, to make the playoff. Whereas in the SEC, hey, given the way the 12-team playoff is going to work, you don't necessarily have to win the league or even make the conference championship game to make the playoff. There may be room for, like, say, three SEC teams in the playoff. So, so it's not obvious that there's – a more clear path for Texas or Oklahoma this year than there will be in the future, but it certainly stands to reason they probably will be uh, just because of, uh, of the nature of who you're competing against in the big 12. After all, the big 12 team in this year's playoff TCU, Georgia beat them 65 to seven, the national championship. That's sort of all you need to know about the comparison between the two leagues right now. So would it be interesting if a team like, because it sort of feels like it's more like a Texas than an Oklahoma because just because of where the two programs are, but wouldn't it be interesting if one of these two teams were to be able to do something really big in the Big 12 on their way out the door and brought with them some steam into the SEC? Because as it stands right now, it's not obvious that either one of these two teams is going to be able to do that. Brent Venable's first year at Oklahoma was not good. Maybe it's better this upcoming year. Uh, in the case of Texas, it's the longstanding joke of, ah, ha, ha, Texas is back, and yet they never really quite are. Maybe this is one of those years where given the overall talent level of the Longhorns, which is pretty high, compared to who they're competing with for one more year in the Big 12, 
advantage Texas in most situations, although they were a big favorite in the game a lot of times last year and couldn't find a way to win the game. But wouldn't it be kind of interesting if both Texas or Oklahoma kind of brought a little bit of momentum with them into the SEC? And, you know, I think we've all kind of made our peace with the fact that the SEC is not really a geographic league anymore, the notion of the Southeastern Conference. A lot of this league doesn't exist in the Southeast anymore. But if that's going to be true, what's happening for you kind of west of the Mississippi has got to matter here. And this league has a chance for some burgeoning rivalries out there. Obviously, Arkansas doesn't like the Texas teams. That's a big deal for them. Uh, you know, Texas, Oklahoma, you're kind of bringing that rivalry into this league. You know, uh, Texas, Texas A&M kind of back again. It's all kind of mattering. But to make that westernmost portion of the SEC matter as much as it could, Texas and Oklahoma being as good as they possibly can is clearly a way in which all that would be made easier. So seeing what they can do to maybe feast for one more year, a pretty watered-down Big 12 compared to what they'll see in the SEC, that uh, could be interesting. Now, to kind of wrap up all of this, I want to kind of give you some very early predictions. These aren't full-fledged predictions, and there's a chance I might kind of change my mind. I sort of already feel like I've changed my mind here a little bit over the course of the last few weeks. But here are my kind of early predictions on where things stand here for right now. I believe in 2023, the SEC East is likely to play out almost exactly like it did this past season, where a team like Tennessee is not good enough to beat Georgia, but they could be good enough to beat everybody else. In other words, when you get to November, I believe more likely than not that Georgia-Tennessee in Knoxville still feels like a very big game. I think that Tennessee will be kind of a little bit of a replica of what it was this year, albeit with a different quarterback. And Georgia will kind of be a little bit of a replica of what it was this past year, albeit with some new players and some sort of new faces there as well. And that, once again, it is probably likely true for now that while Tennessee is good enough to make the game feel big, it is not good enough to actually do much when it actually plays Georgia. And my guess is that Georgia wins easily against Tennessee. And in the final year of the SEC East, it kind of runs through this division and really takes advantage of a time in which Georgia's on paper is just magnitudes better than almost every team that it plays, and certainly every team in its own division, Tennessee included, although the Vols will probably have a pretty high ranking next to their name. On the other side, the SEC West, this is where I'm probably going to leave myself some wiggle room to kind of change my mind, because I think my knee-jerk reaction at the immediate conclusion of this past season is, well, Alabama was out of the mix here this year, but probably back in the mix next year. But I think if a lot of people have kind of brought this up to me, and I think they make a fairly decent point about this. Why is that automatically just sort of assumed to be true? As I told you earlier this week, when you watched LSU beat Alabama this past year, uh, did you see that looking like a fluke? I don't believe that I did. Uh, now, I also would say that while LSU-Alabama, the comparison there is somewhat intriguing, I don't believe I give a third team in the SEC West any chance of winning. Not Hugh Freeze in year one at all. There's just not much of a roster there. You know, uh, not Texas A&M with Jimbo Fisher. You insert your own joke there on that point, I guess. Uh, yeah, there's really no one else capable of making a competitive push at LSU or Alabama, I don't believe. But it's also not one of those things where I think it obviously needs to be true that Alabama just sort of takes it back from LSU because that's what it wants to do. It takes quarterback to be able to do that. I'm not sure Alabama's got one. LSU may have two quarterbacks better than anything currently on the Alabama roster. Um, 
And it's going to take Alabama trying to get back to some roots that were once in present that made that program what it was. But just flipping the switch and saying, hey, we, we want to go back and be tough again. We want to go back and play defense again. We want to go back and run the football again. Listen, it takes more than just waving a magic wand to make any kind of those things true. So leaving some room for me to reserve the right to change my mind, I believe my early prediction is Georgia, LSU again in the SEC championship. Now, these kind of rubber stamp rematch games almost never turn out to be true, and I'm sure that really for both sides, Georgia included, there'll be some mystery and intrigue baked into the cake of the story of the season at some point in time. Seems uh, likely that might happen. But as of now, I think the safest bet for the SEC championship this upcoming year, Georgia, LSU again, in the final year of divisions, the SEC championship, as we've understood it, two teams that we've, said, what, we've seen play, what, five times previous? Uh, they may be playing again, so we'll keep that in mind. We'll make that cruising around the SEC, courtesy of Royal Caribbean. And as we say goodbye to you here one final time, appreciate you, of course, all being with us. Appreciate Kroger for being a great sponsor for us, and they gave away a great uh, Royal Caribbean cruise vacation a few days ago, but also their sponsorship, their, their, their partnership with us here something we are certainly grateful for and uh, take some time to say thanks to them on all of that. Back on Monday again, live show, golden shoes, all the fun stuff that we've come to enjoy and, of course, continuing to do our Gator Hater Countdown there as well. Now, that's something we can also do for you here right now there too. 246 days from right now, Georgia back in Jacksonville beating up on those lousy, stinking Gators. I will tell you one of the toughest challenges of the pre-recorded show is making sure you've got the math correct and what the Gatorator countdown is going to be each day. I think we've probably been right on that this week, but if not, we'll come back and correct it there on Monday. Hey, y'all have a great weekend. Thanks for being here on Dog Nation Daily presented by Kroger. We will look forward to talking to you then.